What's up, podcast world? We're back. Another episode. This life ain't for everybody. Hopefully, y'all are enjoying the episodes lately. Diversity in guests, topics, lots of cool things being talked about, and it shows in the downloads and subscriptions. Thank you all again. Our podcast today is brought to you by our friends, Lynchburg, Tennessee, the iconic Tennessee Sour Mash Whiskey. Enjoy it responsibly. Never, ever allow underage drinking. Thank you, Jack Daniels, for believing in our culture the American outdoorsman, the provider, the hunter, the fisher, conservationist. We truly believe your efforts in making sure that our animals, our wildlife, our habitat, everything that goes into our ecosystem is taken care of. Jack Daniels, thank you again. Enjoy it responsibly. Never allow underage drinking. My guest today spends a lot of time in the outdoors. And I think it's a really cool story because if you want something, you can go get it. And I was having this conversation yesterday that we're all put here with a chance to turn it into something that might be above the normal. It might be average. It might be extraordinary. We all stay in our lanes and uh, we don't get envious. We don't get jealous because we do all have that opportunity, in my opinion, to make something of it. There are cases out there that we might not have that opportunity. And I understand those, but for the most part, I want to talk to my guest today about his thoughts, his ideologies on if you do want something, you can achieve it. Because we hear that all the time. Mr. Hank Cherry, 2020, 2021 Bassmasters Classic Champion. This is pretty unbelievable. I don't know if it's ever been won two years in a row, but welcome to the show, Hank Cherry. Dude, glad, glad to be here. And just to let you know, I am the fourth one in the history of the Bassmasters to do it. So there's been four, four That's guys, all. four guys. Now the year before in 2019, did you fish it in 2018? I know you were in the top 50, but in 2019, mm-hmm. did you fish it? Uh, no, I missed, I've missed the classic twice. I missed it in 2019 and 2017. I believe I try not to keep track of the years that I suck, but um, I've missed I've missed the classic twice in all the years I've been fishing, and it's not a position you want to be in. Because that's it's a qualification, correct? Mm-hmm. What we qualify it- throughout the year with points. Um, so if you have, usually the guys that make the classic are the ones that can ride the train, and if they stumble, they don't fall all the way. Because if you fall down, have a really bad tournament, you got to have a really good one to even them out. The way the point system works. So you've been professional for like over a decade, 13, 14 years, correct? Well, on and off, uh, I started, kind of had some quick success. It kind of went to my head, uh, kind of started living and going beyond my means. Uh, kind of got everything taken away, got reality check, lost jobs, the, the economy crashed. All kinds of things, but I can give I can give excuses, but I'd say the same thing. Excuses only sound good to the people that make them up. Um, it was my fault. Uh, I clawed my way back with the help of my wife and friends and family, uh, church, this, that, and the other. So I really don't really don't really count that as the that was back then was kind of like the beginning of the end, uh, and the end was the means to get to where I needed to be today. I love the 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 end being the means, but you mentioned something in there, but you didn't say the word ego. I, I have a lot of conversations with professional athletes, prof, you know, guys that and girls that maybe have had a second chance or at one point in their career. I was talking to Gary Lavox, the lead singer of Rascal Flats. All these Grammys, all these nominations, all these 18 number one hits and just an unbelievable livelihood. But he said at one time after he moved to Nashville, he had to check his ego at the door and that's when he started to see success. You kind of alluded to the same thing, Mr. Hank Cherry, is that you once you checked it at the door and you came back to earth maybe and grounded yourself again, and it might have been through church, it might have been through meeting your wife, it might have been through anything, but for sure, once we get off that path a little bit, it's almost like the man upstairs knows exactly how to check us, doesn't it? Oh, it's, it's crazy because I've told my story a thousand times, and I was to the point where uh, – I only had a couple fishing rods, a couple baits, um, thought that my time was done. You know, I was working hard at a feed store, just trying to provide for the family. And then it was like, almost like 
okay, maybe he's learned his lesson. Then I get invited by a friend to go fish Oakley Big Bass Tournament. I win that, and I win a boat. And then I get a good job working for Heaven Hill out of North Carolina, and then I'm in the Opens. Then my wife says, well, let's give it two years to see if you can chase your dream. The second year, I qualify for the Classic and the Elites by winning the last term of the year by one ounce. So there there were so many – wheels in motion there but um yeah I, I definitely uh was ground checked and brought back to reality and here i am today so let me ask you this along those same lines hank is you can't win a bigger tournament than you have the last two years that doesn't mean that you win every tournament going into it there's lots of good fishermen on the bass masters mm-hmm. tour there's other tours out there that there's a lot of good fishermen out there fishing is something that like during COVID, I think they said there was 700% spike in fishing license sales. Fishing mm-hmm. is something that almost anybody can do. I mean, people have been doing this for substance since the beginning of time. And our dads got us into fishing when we were babies. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean that we're going to move on to do what you've done and accomplish this. So when you start mixing ego, hitting the bottom getting an opportunity to climb the rungs of that ladder again, and you get on that very top rung and all the pictures are on Hank, all the media's on Hank, all the newspapers, all the magazines, everything. You're holding your fish, you're holding your trophy, you're in your new boat. Do you still have an ego? Do you have to have an ego to be this successful? Or is it now that you're approachable? You'll have a conversation with just about anybody because you understand now that, hey, I'm just a fisherman. You're a very good fisherman, but tell me how that acts now, because now you've come back and you've won the biggest of the biggest two years in a row. Your, your income's there. The revenue's there. The sponsors are there. The celebrities there. Is it different now though, than if you would have won it 10 years ago? I, I think it, I think I, if I would have had the success so much 10 years ago and I nearly won the tournament 10 years ago, I don't think I would have appreciated or understood my responsibilities as a champion. I think in my path, I've got to see so little what I do, how much it affects so many people, tons of kids, how excited they are when we see me. I have a couple, I have a couple high schoolers that I take fishing. One of them is a sponsor son. One of them is a friend of the family. And it's like, now it's like, well, today they didn't bite real good. Sorry guys. They're like, well, anytime you get to go fishing with somebody as famous and a legend like you. And I'm like, what are you talking about? And they're like, well, just pick up the internet. I was like, I don't look at it that way. And they asked, well, why? I was like, because, the minute you start thinking you're bigger than the sport, the minute you get outside of your purpose in this life, then I think that's where that term ego comes in. And then I think that's where danger. Now, I do think in my position, I have to be a little guarded and have somewhat of an attitude, but I am as approachable as I can be, but I am what my wife refers to as a watcher. I see situations. I watch people. I watch the room. Uh, I'm not really outgoing and speaking. You come talk to me and we're going to have a great time. But I, I consider myself a guarded individual from the experiences I've had in the past, knowing that I don't ever want to go back to that place, if that makes any sense. It does. So sticking along the same lines, because I like this kind of talk, Hank, and I want you to educate myself and the listening audience is I've often asked of being a watcher. I want I want to know if it kind of is in tune with what I'm getting ready to say to you. You walk into a room and you have this life that you want it to be normal, but it truly isn't. And you just alluded to that by what that kid, that high school fisherman says to you. You're a legend. Just to have a day on the water in the boat with Hank Cherry, my life is complete. Okay. That's hard to hear. It's hard mm-hmm. to take compliments we, t- we, we begin to deflect. So when you walk into that room and you and your wife term yourself a watcher, is it more so though, that if somebody says, Oh, Hey, Cherry's here. What'd you do last week? And you're like, Oh, I did this. And I was in a photo shoot and I got to go on this lake and I got the VIP treatment here. And, and Abu Garcia brought me here and Shab- whatever it is. 
Now the attention's on Hank Cherry. The whole story of the night, the whole theme of the night's on Hank. But if you go in there and you just kind of stay in the corner and you're just Hank, the quiet guy, now you're looked at as, wow, it's almost egotistical. He doesn't want to be part of the party. He doesn't want He doesn't want to come talk to me. Who does this guy think he is? So it's like a double-edged sword. You're like walking this fine line of being the whole entire 100% center of attention. And the other side of the fine line, Hank Cherry, is Oh, he's just an egotistical you-know-what. He doesn't care but to talk to me. Is that kind of what you're alluding to when you say I'm a watcher? It kind of does, but I just have a very – and very guarded, especially when it comes to my family, when it comes to my wife, when it comes to things that are close to me, friends. And if you – you can learn a lot about people by paying attention to the room – and looking and seeing what's going on because everybody, you know, I've heard it a thousand times, but I was telling my son again yesterday, like you don't judge somebody's character when they're around and all eyes are on them. You judge them by how they act when everybody's not paying attention to them, you know, and I'm that guy that look, just looks back and I'll notice the subtle nuances about some things are happening or body language towards this because body language, which I preached to my son a ton about sports is like body language speaks louder than voice. Like body language can tell you a lot about a person, how they react to adversity, you know. And, um, but as far as the, the watching thing is, there is a point there to where when I show up, I don't really want to be the center of attention. But through understanding and going through this whole experience with these wins, I, I realize that there's some things that I'm going to go to where I'm going to be the center of attention, you know, and that's the hard line to really walk because I learned really on in my position and what we do sports athletes, this, that, and the other, you're not going to make everybody happy and you're going to have people that don't like period, no matter what you do, how you do it. And you have to be okay with that because you cannot make everyone happy. So the watcher term for me is, I guess it's just at this point in, in certain situations, the curiosity comes in my head, like, you know, before I won this, you didn't want to talk to me. You didn't want to acknowledge me. Now, all of a sudden, I've won twice, and, like, I'm your best buddy. That just doesn't fly with me. That's not sure. the kind of person I am. So you just mentioned that you can't make everybody happy. But you're a nice guy. You're a father. You're a coach. You're a giver. You're a man of God. You're a God-fearing human being. You're a husband. I assume you're a friend to many. Mm-hmm. It it kills me, Hank, if you want me to be transparent in what I do, it kills me that I can't make everybody happy. And when somebody doesn't like me back, it bothers me to the end of the world. It's like, man, what happened? How can we fix this? In reality, I don't know if it's fixable. I don't know what's going through their head. But it mm-hmm. really irks me that I can't make I've laid up late at night, Hank Cherry, thinking like, Dang it, I want everybody to like me. How do you deal with that, knowing that you're a good human being? You have made mistakes. I'm sure that you've even burned a bridge a time or two in your life, Mr. Hank Cherry. I have. But how do you deal Mm -hmm. with that? You're the same exact age as I am. The same exact. You are a little, you're like a half a year older than me. You're February, I'm October. Same exact year, 1991. So we're pretty young men, right, Hank? That's a joke. I want everybody to think that we were born in 1991. (laughs) How do you deal with that though, Hank Cherry, that not everybody is going to like us? Um, You know, at the end of the day, my kids look at me and smile and they're happy. My wife's happy. I can look in the mirror and, and I'm proud of the man I've become and what I've accomplished those things are the most important and dearest things to me at the end of the day. You're not going to make everybody happy. I've tried. It's just not impossible. There are a lot of words you can use to sum it up. It could be envy. It can be jealousy. It could just be spite. Some people are just that way. You know, and I talk, I talk about this attitude when I speak to kids and I'll let them know, like, uh, there's going to be kids, college fishermen coming up. Hey, this guy's parents may be a little more well-off than yours, so he may have a nicer boat. He may have the nicer truck. But the last time I checked, truck never caught a fish. A boat never caught a fish. It's the person in it. You've got to be happy. You don't have to be satisfied. You need to be happy with what you got, understand where you come from, 
to have a picture of where you want to go, especially for the young in this life. And throw out all the excuses, throw out all the envy, because nobody starts from, it's not a level playing field. It's just not. The economic structure in our country is just not the same. It's not going to be a level playing field. That's still not an excuse about that's going to determine how your life turns out or what your career path turns out. You know, you determine that. I tell my son every day, you got one choice in life. That's how you choose to react to life. Every day you wake up, you make that choice, you make it and you stick to it. You suffer the consequences, you reap the rewards. I love the attitude. You, you, you're talking a little bit about what mentorship means. Where, where does this play in your upbringing of, you say, you've been quoted as saying that your dad was your hero, even though your dad wasn't a professional fisherman. I don't even know if your dad taught you how to fish, but where, where does this attitude of mentorship come from? Were you raised the right way to where maybe you did get off of the path for a second and that's a maturity thing because we all go through different levels of maturity in our personal and professional lives, Hank Cherry. But where did this mentorship attitude come from? When, where did you start realizing and visualizing that, Hey, mentorship is key. And that's why new people get into fishing or you love to hunt in your off season. Hunting needs mentors. Not all of us are born with a gun in our hands. Some of us are born inner cities, but if those people that are born in Manhattan get a chance to go see the outdoors or be in the woods or on a duck lake or in a duck blind or whatever, they might like it. Where did this attitude come from? How did your dad teach you to give back and to, and to, and, and to teach the next generation and to mentor people along the way? Um, you know, my dad is a great guy. And I'm not going to say he didn't make any mistakes while he was bringing me and my sisters up. That's just, part of it but he did introduce me into fishing and i think his attitude and his worth ethic through his job and the time and care that he took in to his sales reps i think that kind of pushed me on this path my dad's also a military man so it got me close to that side and as i got older and the things that i've seen in my lifetime you know from what we're going through now with COVID, 9-11, just wars, this, that, and the other, um, it made me really understand how important the outdoors are to people. And I look back and at my outdoors experiences growing up, how much trouble it kept me away from. You know, time in the woods, time on the water. I didn't have the, op that it, by doing that stuff, I didn't have the opportunity to go out and get in trouble. I didn't have the opportunity to try to get on the wrong path. Between that and sports, I was always in that motion. And when I saw, when I got into fishing really big and I saw the impact that I made, especially on the kids and the youth of people that have never even picked up a fishing rod before, all of a sudden they're getting into fishing because they saw me on TV or they watched a fishing tournament. Or they talked to my son. And he explained about what I do for a living. And then I'm around these kids with baseball and I coach youth basketball and they don't have, they didn't have enough coaches. And I start to see how my passion was rubbing off on them. I mean, we took, my father helped me in 2020, right before the classic, we took a basketball team with honestly nine kids, two players, the rest of the other seven, Great kids, not exactly the best athletes or best basketball players. We were not the best team by far. But through the mentality that I taught them and attitude, we won the whole thing. We won the whole thing because I believe, I mean, I wear it right here, the PMA bracelet, Gerald Swindle's bracelet, never leaves. I believe in the power of positive mental, excuse me, positive mental attitude. I believe that is the key to success in everything we do. And the happiness I get out of mentoring today's youth and help guide them on the right track, especially on a path that I know a lot about as far as fishing, is something that I think over time I've grew to understand. I think that's the bigger part of my path in this world right now. I think the fishing is a huge thing, but I think in my design and in my experience that it's not the bigger part of it. The bigger part is the effect that it's having on the future of the sport. And to me, that's important because fishing is something that I dearly love. Hunting is something that I dearly love. And I don't want to see it go to the wayside and I don't want to see it ruined. So you think that maybe fishing 
is the platform that gives you a voice because you do have a message. Part of what you talk about with Swindle's RMA um, or PMA, positive mental attitude, the right mental attitude, you've heard it saying it's said in different versions. But how does one find this, Hank? How does one put open those eyes and before they put those feet on the ground, which we're very lucky to do on any given day, how mm-hmm. do you find it? What do you do? Are there exercises? Do you lay in the dark and figure out who you are? Do you stay off of these things because they're ruining the fabric of society, even though that's how we do business today? How do we find this right mental attitude or this positive mental attitude that you wear on your wristband, Hank? Well, you know, with me, it started with a movie. Well, there was two movies. One, the movie Wonder about the the kid who has a face deformity and you know he's worried about wearing a helmet and his wife i mean his mom tells him you know you shouldn't you shouldn't try to blend in when you were made to stand out so that's why my hashtag on my post is don't blend i want every kid to know that you know you do you don't blend but the biggest word that helped me develop the right attitude was how and the reason i say that is you always hear, well, well, if I had the chance to do this, or you'll hear a kid or my son say, well, when I get to the major leagues and I stop them and I'll stop everybody, there's no if. If is a dream. When is a thought. How is a direction and an idea. How do I get there? How do I do this? It puts you in the right frame of mind. It puts you on the right track. So if and wins don't get you anywhere. But how you stick with how the rest of your life, if you're in school, how do I get an A in this class? How do I steal this base in baseball? How am I going to hit this pitch? You know, how am I going to kill this big buck that's been on camera and I can only see him at certain times? How am I going to get these ducks to come in the blind when the wind's the wrong way? How am I going to do it? If, if kids and you learn to use that word how, it's very important because how makes you have some responsibility. How is like, okay, I'm going to do this. How am I going to do this? There's no when, that's a maybe, if is a maybe. And once again, it goes back to excuses. Like, well, if I had this, that's great. Excuses only sound good to the people that make them up, period. That's just the way it works. So I think when people hit that spot and they really concentrate on how we're going to get better, how am I going to make my marriage better? How am I going to do better at work? How am I going to do better at school? How is the word to get you in the right direction? You mentioned there were two movies. One was Wonder. Is the other oh, one? Yeah. Does the other one have have the word Wonder in part of the movie that's that's etched on something? No, the other one, well, that Wonder Boy. That's that's the natural problem with the back. <laughs> but well, you're a base, you're movie, a baseball guy, and Roy Hobbs yeah. had a pretty difficult path to get to where he got to. Yeah, he did. But the other movie is less heard from, but it's Seven Days in Utopia. Ooh, I've never seen you that. You heard of it? No, sir. Okay, it's, it's a movie that I think everyone that wants to know about their walk in life should watch the movie. And I think once you once you watch that movie, if it does not touch your soul and make you think about the direction things have been and how they're heading, then you really, really need a reality check. Long story short, uh, long story short um, without giving too much away, it's a, it's a spiritual movie, um, but there's a point in the movie where uh, it's a golf movie. There's a point in the movie where this guy's made this mistake over and over again. He gets up for his drive, he's lead the tournament, hits it out of bounds. And through this journey at this place he's been in Utopia, he's learned a lot about himself and about chances you take in life. And it's okay not to succeed all the time. So he hits it off in the woods, he's going down there. And it's a shot that he's taken before and it's never been successful, but he's always the risk taker. He's always going to take it in his head. You know, he's leading the tournament, but he says he's going to take the penalty and he's going to go back to the tee. He's going to go back and take that second shot off the tee. And when I've used that analogy over and over in my fishing stuff, because I've had days where it just started falling apart and I've had to go back to the tee. I've gone back. I've gone. I've driven. I've driven back all the way to the boat landing before, and acted like I was re-blasting off to get my day re-going again. 
But those two movies, especially that one, um, really round everything out. Because I tell you about a golf shot, but there's there's without giving the movie away, if you've never seen it, I'm telling you it is a great movie. You'll see there's a, a term in there that's called SFT. And he's thinking the whole time he's learning golf while this guy's reteaching him the game is seeing it and feeling it and touching it like he's like it's it's a golf terms, but it's not. It's more it's it's more of a it's more of Christ like stuff. It's like because you can you can see his face and you can feel his presence and you can trust his love. This guy doesn't realize this till the end of the movie when he's going to make this winning putt, and then he sees his teacher standing there in the crowd. I mean, it's just everything that went through the movie goes through to get to that point. If you watch it, I'm telling you, if it does not if it does not touch your soul, you have some serious reorganizing to do. It is an incredible movie. Seven Days in Utopia. Yep. I'm going to watch it. But watching it doesn't mean that I'm going to understand my how or is it going to inspire me? Because you still have to work, right? There still has to be work ethic involved because – and I want you to answer this. I want some transparency on this, Hank, and I know that you're that you're being nothing but – are you just a good test taker? Like some of us were not good students, but on test day, we could just go in there and be like, boom, I'm good. I got an A, I got a 98 out of a hundred. Some of us were just good test. Are you just a great classic fisherman? Cause you don't win every tournament leading up to the grand finale like that. But then you go in here with like this, is that your utopia? Is that your, your master's test right there that the Bassmasters, do you just have an uncanny ability to get up for that? Or is there a, do you, the harder you work, Hank Cherry, the luckier you, luckier you get? Or did you just have an advantage on these two bodies of water? How does it happen that you could go into the biggest tournament of the year and come out the, the, the best fisherman in the world two years in a row? I don't know if that's the correct term because I know you don't look at yourself as the best in the world, even though you do have to have that attitude that you talked about. But how do you do it? Where is that utopia stand in that? I think um, the classic for me – is it's a totally different mindset than I take the rest of the year. The whole year long, we're fishing for points to try to get to that point, to build that tournament. Once that tournament comes around, there is no points. It's it's my best fastball against your best fastball, everybody else, whatever you can do the best you put together is three days. It's either do or die. Um, and that format, if I have less to think about, the better I'm going to do understand. Like I'm not thinking about, I'm not having to find a plan A, a plan B, a plan C in case this goes bad because there's really one spot. We all want to win. That's your place. That puts you in the history books. It puts you on a trophy. It gives you the trophy. It opens the door to a lot of things. So in my head, in my head, that's what I always wanted. That's been my dream. That's been my carrot. That's been the fuel to my fire since I started fishing back when I was seven years old. That was the one end game that I knew. That's why I struggled so much emotionally after I won the first one, because I looked at my wife and it was in tears. And I was like, what do I do now? She was like, what do you mean? What do you do? I was like, I feel empty. I was like, what do I do? I caught the carrot. I've been chasing my entire life. I never dreamed of two or three or four. Winning elite series events never crossed my mind. Winning the all-star event never, none of that stuff that I've accomplished ever crossed my mind. My thoughts in fishing career were around accomplishing that goal, the one that I set forth. And so I was emotionally messed up for a little while after winning the first one because I was felt empty. I was like, what, what do I do now? And so I had to do some soul searching and I had to think about it and think about my path. And think about everything I'd done and, and through talking with her and realizing that there was more to it than that. But that's all I was so dead set on that trophy. I wasn't seeing the whole picture. I wasn't seeing the whole thing of how it was affecting everyone. It was affecting children, it was affecting kids, college kids, adults, uh, adults seeing my path. Hey, that if I could do this and they really wanted to fish, they could give a shot. out. You're never too old, this, that, or the other. I didn't see all that. And then when the second one, it was like, I looked at my wife and she's like, see, it's not over. 
still not over. So my, my journey is still developing. But when it comes to the Bassmaster Classic, I think I get so jacked up. I have no outside interference because I know there's no points. There's one spot that I want. And I plan for that. And when I played baseball, like I was, I was a home run hitter. I was swinging every time. I was swinging to hit as long as far as I could every time. And that's just the only way I do. During the regular season, if you do that too many times and you foul balls off and don't make direct contact, you don't end up in the classic. So there's really two mentalities that we have to take on throughout the year. You're one person during the year, and then you have to have a whole nother drive once you get to that event. If that makes any sense. It makes total sense. You talk to yourself about being a home run hitter. I absolutely love all of the baseball analogies, which we're going to get into being from the region you're from in our country in the Carolinas. Are you a big Chipper Jones fan? I see your son is becoming a ch- switch hitter. Chipper Jones could be the best switch hitter of all time. Did I say chip hitter? I meant switch hitter. And yeah. you got Eddie, you got Eddie Murray in Baltimore back in the day, but Chipper being in your part, I'm sure he's a huge influence to you, the Atlanta Braves. We'll get into baseball. But you talk about hitting home runs and swinging for the fences all the time. You've also been termed as a power fisherman. What is power fishing, Hank Cherry? Does that mean that you don't go in there and just kind of like – just toss it into the tree. Do you go in there and just throw it as hard as you can and you reel as fast as you can and you drive the boat as fast as you can? I, what does power fishing mean? You don't stay in the same spot too long. Describe what that they mean by that. Power fishing is most of the time up close and personal, heavy line, big baits in and around the cover. I mean, when people speak of like finesse fishermen, it's more spinning rod, light line, maybe out off the bank, wacky worm presentation, things such. But power fishing, you're usually right up in it. It's an aggressive style. Um, and you are usually at a, at a quick pace, moving pretty fast. There are there are times when power fishing can be slow, but that's depending on where you are in the country. But you have an aggressive approach to fishing. And, and that's as best I can tell you about power fishing. I mean, you just are, it's, a, it's a more aggressive approach to getting the job done. So when it comes time of the year for the Bassmasters Championship, the classic, which you've won in 2020 and 2021, two-time defending champion Hank Cherry, is everybody termed a power fisherman during those three days of the classic? No, not really, because there are going to be some guys that are going to go out off offshore or going to pick up a spinner rod, maybe get some eight-pound line and do around this, that, and the other. You'll see that. And a lot of that's going to – a lot of that determines the body of water that you go to. Like if we go, like, for instance, next year it's on Lake Hartwell in South Carolina. It's, it's a clear water, clear water uh, reservoir, a lot of spotted bass, so techniques are going to be different. Can you catch spotted bass power fishing? Yes. Lots of time, uh, finesse fishing, drop shot, wacky worm, Nico rig, shaky head, things like that prevail just because of the type of fish you're fishing for and the season. And you, you start talking about baits. Do you have a visualization? Do you get to go in and practice a couple days leading into the classic on this body of water? Talk to me about, and you know who Ted Williams is, The Science of Hitting. I think it was chapter four. Greatest book ever written about baseball, in my opinion. Um, The chapter four, I believe, Hank Cherry, was called Visualization. This is a huge part of success, in my opinion. Baseball, I would visualize everything, whether it was the night before, whether it was watching scouting tape, whether I was in the on-deck circle, whether I was standing in center field and I was watching the pitch, I would visualize myself taking a drop step and running to a spot or leaving my feet or jumping over the fence and robbing this home run like Ken Griffey Jr. did so many times. I visualized. So can you visualize success in fishing? Do you use that exercise? size of visualization a bunch and what are you doing when you get to the lake like are how do you pick your bait how do you know where to go how you know like when you leave that dock you already know exactly where you're going to go and if you do why isn't everybody else going there because hank cherry's going there how is all of this dis- determined well see everything a lot everything that you just mentioned is determined a lot of it by experience uh understanding situations that you've been in in the past um regionally knowing what's going on in that region with weather the time of year it is are we near the spawn we're post spawn however that goes um and then with today's technology and the grass and stuff that we have on our boats uh nothing's hidden underneath the surface anymore i'm still one of those guys i fish with forward facing sonar which means i can see like a tv i can see everything swimming out in front of the boat 
Um, but I still fish a lot the way I was taught is with my eyes. I look at nature. I see birds, I see herons on the bank. I see shad flickering, I see fish busting, things like that. But, um, we're not all the same. It's just like on the baseball field. You have nine guys by nine different positions. They all bring something to the table. Well, when we go fish the Bassmaster Classic, you got 52 of us there, and we're all 52 different. We all have a different style. We all have different ideals. That's what makes fishing great because you don't have to do the same thing that I do or that Greg Hackney does or Jacob Parazzi does or Kevin Van Dam does or whoever your hero is. You don't have to do the same thing they do to be successful at fishing, but yet you can learn from other people and watching what's happened or their experiences. Um, sometimes on occasion in the classic, you will have guys that end up landing on the same group of fish and they end up together. Sometimes you have too many there and it ends up hurting everybody. Um, the, the case that's happened with me, the past two classics is I have basically had at both lakes, two areas to myself. The one at Gunnersville was a very, one of the places that Gunnersville was a very huge community hole that was literally 500 yards from blast off that everyone overlooked. Uh, and then I had a grass bed just beyond that, that I caught 29 pounds out of the first day. And then at Ray Roberts, uh, I had one point of trees and unconventionally I caught them on the dam on a jerk bait in june in texas which is unheard of but they had a cold wet cold winter the whole lake froze everything was behind weeks and i just had the whim to try it and practice and it turned out the day they were out there so um you know experience but trusting your gut and trusting your abilities is the biggest part to all that that's pretty cool that you could win such a notable championship and a pretty good bit of change by trusting your gut, by taking a risk. You mentioned taking a risk earlier in this conversation, Hank Cherry, investing in yourself, having the guts to do it. Because if you go over there and your gut or the risk doesn't pay off, then you're going, oh man, now anxiety might set in, fear might set in, tension might set in, nervous, nervosa might set in. How, what, how many different feelings go through Hank Cherry's mind on a fish day in the classic? Are you always happy or are you always aggressive? Are you always visualizing? Are you always just focused on the next fish? Or do you take a time to breathe and enjoy it and take it all in? Or does that have to wait until after the championship or the final, the final weigh-in is completed? What are all the emotions that a fisherman like yourself winning these big tournaments goes through on any given day on the water? Well, you know, going through the progression of my career, I was fired up and antsy to fish the classic before I had won. I mean, you just got a different kind of drive. You're trying to do it and you're worried about your decisions and, and is this going to be the right thing? And I got plan A, plan B, plan C, all my rods, this, that, and the other, but my progression and maturity as an angler is starting to really be able to control some variables and understand, Hey, this is what I do very well. This is what I'm not so good at. We need to stay on this side, especially in this tournament and make the best of what we can. Um, now, I try not to think about the outcome when I'm out there. When I won the first one, the I had no jitters, no nerves. It was like the first day, everything was happening the way it was supposed to happen. I can't explain it. The second day, everything was just happening. The, then I hit the third day of the first one, and it's like, crap, they're not biting I go three or three, three and a half hours without one. But I knew from my experience, you don't run away from fish to go find fish. They were going to bite where I was. It was going to happen. I had to block all that stuff out of my head, set forth, just keep chugging along. Um, come the second one, like I knew this, I knew the second one after practice was pretty, pretty good. Uh, best practice I've ever had for a classic, but. That first morning on the first cast, when I hit the first tree, cranked the handle one time and a five pounder loads up, I'm thinking in my head right then, I'm like, 
is going to be pretty special. <laughs> and it kind of just pr- progressed from then. And then the third day again at the second one when I won, it got challenging. It got hot, 104 degrees, index of like 112. They're not really doing what I want them to do. I know they're still in the same area. They're just not biting as well. So I change up some things, which is my maturity, because 10 years ago, I was kept trying to force feed them the same thing. You know, I change up some technique a little bit, downsize a little bit, uh, catch those last three, and it's history. So, you know, the best I can explain anything about my classic victories and my whole career to this point was is just blessed from the lessons learned the good and the bad all made me the guy that I am today. I love it. Are the small mouth and the large mouth, even though you've seen a hundred of them, thousands of them on a hook, are they still your favorite fish to catch? Or do you like to go offshore? Do you like a marlin once in a while? Do you like a billfish, a sail, a sword? Do you like to go up to Minnesota and catch a walleye for a fish fry? Do you like to go crappie fishing and just hammer down on a bunch of freaking cold beers and a fish fry on a Friday night with some buddies? I don't know what your personal life is, Hank. I want to get into some of that, but do you enjoy all types of fishing or does it have to be a bass? No, I enjoy all types of fishing. I don't do very well offshore that's why i tend to struggle when we go up north on the big bodies of water because i tend to bout with vertigo and inner ear so i'm always uneasy in big waves but um by far probably my favorite fish to catch is a flounder i love flounder fishing we have little sea arc john boat my son and i take uh down to the beach and we just have a ball doing that um typically these days uh Anything that's not work-related is really, really enjoyable. Sometimes fishing gets more to – I let it become more of a job than fishing, and that's when the joy of it is taken away, and I have to regroup. Usually it's my wife setting me straight, and uh, we go from there. But I really enjoy saltwater inshore fishing, flounder, redfish, um, things of that nature. My son likes to go crappy fishing. We catch anything. I mean, even time to time, we go to, I used to do it a bunch. We go to carp tournaments around here. Love carp fishing. Um, What is a a flounder? What's a flounder? Yeah. It's a flat fish, saltwater flatfish, two eyes on both sides. I don't don't know if you have them on that side or not. They might call them a fluke. I don't think so. Flounder, we call them doormats. Doormats. They lay flat on the sand. You catch them on artificial or dripping minnows. Um, Typically around here, they get anywhere from – you catch them from 12 inches to 28 inches. They're, but they're a flat fish. They lay flat on the bottom, have two eyes on one side of their head, big mouth that just opens up. They actually gig them around here at night. You shine with a light, and they shoot them with a stake. I assume you're doing this because they're awesome to eat? Flounder fishing is – they are incredible. And just catching a big one. Like my son, he's, he's in that stage where a bite is a bite. And he's now he's wanting to up me. So every time he catches a great big one, have you ever caught one this big? It's he's in that he's in that stage. But he, it's just something I grew up doing that I'm passing on to him. So back to the bass. What what is the best? Is the south and the southeast like where you have to be, or do you like going up north and fishing? Michigan, Minnesota, some of the bodies of water that hold bass up in that area, Ohio. Or would you much rather be? I know that you mentioned going up north because of the vertigo, but w- where do we want to be to catch to be the ultimate bass fisherman? Do you have to be from the south and the southeast part of the country to be a badass bass fisherman? No, um, some of the best fishermen to ever fish. I mean, some of the best guys I've heard of come from the California region. Like one of my favorite places I ever went was the Delta. The one time I went, um, it was incredible. I don't know how it is now. Lake Havasu, I've always wanted another shot at that place because I didn't understand exactly what was there. But, dude, like you have great fishermen that come from Canada. And like Gussie and the Johnson brothers, you know, they're covered in ice three-quarters or half the year. So I think where regionally where you live doesn't have any impact on how good a fisherman you are. I mean, Brandon Polinick's from Idaho. He's way up there. So we're, we're all scattered a point, scattered around. I just think that 
if you took all the guys that are really successful and competitive and have won championships and put them together and started just picking them apart physically, like somewhere along the line, that drive to be the best is going to be the thing that's going to be the common ground between all of them. We, we may do it a different way. We may have different outlets, but when you get down to the seed that grew the tree, that drive is there in everybody. How do you know when to quit? I, I, I talk to songwriters about, I know you like country music. I guess I'm assuming that you love good country music. Well, let me ask you I that. Do. Hank, do you like real country music or do you like the bro country? Do you like radio today or would you much rather listen to Don Williams, Waylon Jennings, and a little bit of Merle and it's some George Strait, Jamie Johnson, or do, I listen you, to, do you like it all? I listen to everything from country to probably as hard rock music as you can get to, to old classic rock. And I just like music. You're a huge Guns N' Roses fan, aren't you, Hank Cherry? I, I loved Guns N' Roses when I was coming up. Guns N' Roses, uh, Led Zeppelin, I had everything they ever did. Uh, Pearl Jam, Rush. I mean, it doesn't matter. I, I'm just a fan of all kinds of music. I'm a huge GNR fan, but I often ask songwriters, Hank Cherry, what? when do you know when to quit? When do you know a song's complete? Like, how did Dean Dillon know to end the chair when he wrote it for George Strait? Like, I often ask myself that in songwriting. How do you know when to quit in fishing? Tell me how it works. Let's let's go back. Let's go back to this last couple, this last tournament that you're at at Lake Ray Roberts in Fort Worth, Texas. I was just there the uh, uh, last weekend. Te- Texas Day Brazil is really really good food there. I love I love the yeah. stockyards. I love Billy Bob's. Um, how does that? How does it go? Hank, how do you know when to quit? Do you just get a certain amount of, of fish that you can catch? Do you have somebody in your boat watching you? How do you know when it's time to say, you know what, I'm going to the scales? Or do you fish up until the very last second of the very last minute of the day? How does it work to knowing when to quit as a championship bass fisherman? I don't think you ever really use the term as quit. Um, there may be times throughout days where on certain bodies of water where you think you have enough and you might lay off and go look for other places. Um, but in your mind as a professional, you're not ever really going to put the term quit in there. Um, there have been times that I've come in early. There have been times that I pushed it to the very last second. It just depends on the, the time, the year, the tournament, what's going on. I mean, you might have fish healthcare problems where you don't want to get a, penalty you might have one that's not doing so good so you want to get them weighed in and we usually have a marshal that's making sure we follow the rules or a cameraman in the boat so but no one's giving us any advice it's just me against the other guys um this last one of ray roberts i had no idea had i won or not i knew that i had caught five the last day done my job miserable conditions if they beat me they beat me now at gunnersville I pretty much knew about one o'clock on the last day that it was done. Um, and that was a good feeling. But even then I somehow talked myself into to thinking that I, I may not have enough. And I spent and I went at it probably harder the last hour and a half than I did the first part of the day. And I think a lot of that was due to that. I knew the fish had started biting late in the day, but there is no, there is no really, Define time where you pack it up and go in or you quit. I mean, we take off at eight, we weigh in at three. You just got to make the best of that time frame. Do you question yourself a lot though on that drive back in? Do you like go, oh man, I wonder, I wonder if I ought to be going back in. Should I throw one of these back and cast over <clears> at that tree? Oh, I see a bird over there. There's got to be a seven and a half pounder over there. Is there a lot of questions going through your mind on that boat ride back to the dock? You know, there once was, but the past few years, I don't know, I guess it's probably been the last four or five years. I don't really question. I don't really question what I've done because there was a time when I got off the water and I felt like I just didn't do enough. I did. I made it. Did I give it my all? Did I cover everything like I should have? Now it's to the point where, like I said, I trust my abilities. I know what I do well. And once my practice is done, good, bad, or the other, when we take off the first day of the tournament, 
I've got a game plan in mind, but I'm still learning as I go on. I'm still learning every day, trying to learn something new, learn something new. And by doing that, when I get off the water, I know that I've done the best that I could do. Uh, I don't second guess it. You know, there was a time where I may have, but not, not anymore. I, I, I mean, I've got backing in my head. I've got backing. If I ever second guess things where I can go look in my living room, like, Hey, there's two classic trophies. You're a world champion. Don't second guess what you do. Go do what you do. You put on this earth to go fishing, go fishing. And so that's kind of the way I look at it. So where are you on that last day? Are you in the lead? How many pounds are you in the lead by or ounces? Are you leading the 2021 Bassmaster Classic by? You get to the dock. You got your fish. You got the live well. Take it from there. Where are you at in the rankings for that day? You feel good about your catch that day. Do you bag them up and you walk as fast as you can? Is there an official guy that comes down and takes them out of your boat? How does that t- talk to me once you're back at the, the dock and tied off? See, that's the trick for the classic. See, we had to load up on the trailer. Then we had to drive through a way station where they check our fish. Okay. Then they load the fish down with ice, make sure everything is good, put extra water in there, plug the drains. And then I have to drive an hour and 10 minutes all the way back to right way in by myself to get to the Coliseum. So I'm thinking the whole time, do I have enough? Wonder what this guy's got scenarios are just running through my head the whole time. Wait a minute. Hold on before you continue. You're in your truck by yourself, but you just, you already weighed in, but now you got to drive an hour and a half to weigh in to get, you haven't weighed in yet. We, they check the fish to make sure they're alive and everything's good. And then we have to drive back to Fort Worth to weigh in. Okay. Gotcha. So in that trip, that trip, I have to drive by myself through that traffic. Think about 10,000 scenarios. So do they take a picture of them when they're checking or can you stop on the way back to the Coliseum in Fort Worth and somebody's got a pet bass there for you and trade one off? I mean, I'm not saying that you would ever do that, but is it possible to cheat in something like this? No, they don't have that. It's not, it's not like that. If there's a direct path we take, there are polygraphs we take. Once they're checked and weighed in, because see, we have bass track throughout the day where we catch one, we kind of weigh it or whatever, and they click it in and it's on the computer. Gotcha. It's not an exact weight, but it's pretty close. So there's, there's no, at this point in time, there's no funny business going on. Now, have people been caught fit, cheating in bass tournaments? Yeah, not ours, but local stuff and things like that. People have tried some shady stuff gotten away with some of it and some people have been caught. So it just depends. But yeah, so you're driving back, you know, and then, and you have the traffic to deal with the, all the different scenarios going in your head. What, what is going to happen? Did you have enough? And you're sitting there and you're having to listen to all the other guys weigh in once you get back. And, you know, this time around, it's a lot closer than it was the first time. So the, Final eight or super six, whatever they take us into the arena. Matt Area, who's one of my good buddies, is in the super six, and he is the only guy that's going to be close enough or have a chance to beat me. So, as we're driving around the arena and they're weighing one guy for the other, we're sitting there. My buddy Brock Mosley had already come and we weighed my fish. We knew exactly what they weighed at that point in time. We sat there and weighed them, put them back in line, we looked at them. And he is the current leader. And he's sitting on the stage in what they call the hot seat. So Matt goes up there to weigh. And when Matt knocks him off, Brock knows by the weight, he kind of rotates in the chair and looks back at me and just has this big grin. And we both knew, damn, I'm getting ready to win two in a row. And so then the whole mindset changed. And I'm like about to jump out of my skin, but I've got to remain calm. I've got to, you know, there's whole kinds of things that you don't want to give up. and It's just the emotions are running through so fast. you got 10,000 things you want to say and all these cool things you thought you would say. And the best I can come up with was I get to win one with my name on it. Because the first one, the first trophy I went didn't have my name on it because they didn't know who was going to win. Well, this one had my name on it from last year. So, you know, just the whole experience is just something that – um I don't know. It, you, you just, it doesn't, your dreams don't even do it enough credit. So personally, are you a celebrator? I know you're a family man. 
I know you're a mentor, a father, a coach, but do you celebrate? Do you get to go out and have a an adult beverage? Do you ever enjoy an adult beverage, Hank Cherry? How does this play a role into this lifestyle? Because I know that in, in sometimes, you know, in different walks of life, we get caught up in it like we discussed before, but there can be that, op, you know, there's always opportunity for cold beers with the guys after. I'm sure there's party nights. I'm sure there's, you got to stay disciplined, but after you win the classic, do you get to celebrate a little bit? And you're so mentally tired and drained that you're still not even processed about what really happened. Um but we went out with some of the anglers and some of the bass staff. We went to, I don't even know the name of the place where we ended up going, but um, backstory on me is when I wasn't fishing, I was in the alcohol industry my pretty much my whole life. And I'm just not a big alcohol consumer. I'll have a beer every once in a while, mix drink every once in a while, but I'm not one of those guys. I like to be in control and I don't like the chance of having anything enter my body too much where I lose control. That makes sense. Oh yeah, hundred percent. I um, you know, I was just so tired, emotionally, physically drained from the heat that the celebrating didn't happen at the Cherry household until weeks after when we got back, and I was just sitting there, and I just it, the the feeling that came over me was just incredible, and my son every day. He walks through the living room and he'll come to me and say, Hey dad, they're still both in there. Cause it was like a dream. I was like, I woke, I kept waking up on the first one after I won the night I won, I woke up every hour and would just look. And my wife would be like, what are you doing? I was like, I just want to make sure it's still here. <laughs> uh, so I don't know. It just brought me, it just made everything that I've been through in my life, all the bad times, the good times, the struggles, the decision-making everything. It just came full circle twice. And like I said, now that's two carrots I've caught. And I've had to think, rethink my career and rethink my direction since the second one. And, you know, my wife looked at me. She told me, it's like, you don't have to do that. Keep doing what you're doing. Inspire a few people along the way. Be a good dad, good husband, and everything's going to be all right. So where do we go from here, Hank Cherry? What's Do we have a layoff? Are we getting ready for the next Elite Series? What? Where do we go from here? Is our boat getting ready to go back in the water already? Do you have to go out and practice? In batting practice, I mean, all the best hitters in the world, they got to take BP almost every day. They got to see live pitching, whether it's behind an L screen or off a tee, whatever it is, they got to be hitting, you know, swinging that, getting some reps. Quality versus quantity. So do you only enter the quality tournaments now or as the champion? Are you an automatic entry into the 2022 Bassmaster Classic or do you still have to qualify? Uh, I actually double qualified this year. I qualified by winning and then I qualified by the points. Uh, basically, all I fish now, I fish at home local tournaments with my son or my buddies. The only chance I get to see anybody and it's the only chance I get to go take him fishing. But when I'm home, I try to be home. And now that we have like this five month layoff i have sponsor obligations i have contracts that have to get redone i have uh potential and new sponsors contacting trying to get on board so there's a lot of shuffling and things going on right now especially in this next i'd say three years of my career i have to be preparing to set myself up for the rest of my career um those are tough decisions you have to make because there may be some sponsors you have to leave, some you have to pick up. Um, you may have to pay hardball. There's all just the thing. That's the business side of it that I really don't enjoy. I enjoy the fan interaction, the fishing, and all that part of it. But it is a job. Um, and at the end of the day, whatever decisions are made and plans we make, they're in the best interest of my family. And um, the goal is the same, to go to Hartwell next year. Um, try to be the first ever to three-peat. Odds are against me, but I've been that kind of guy that's kind of beat the odds my whole life, so we'll just keep plugging at that. But tournaments, we start in February before the Classic, and I have to get off to a good start in Florida. We have two tournaments there before the Classic, and the first two tournaments every year, I always say that's the key. Start out with a bang and just keep the years going. But the goal will be the same. The goal will be to make the Classic. Did you ever think you'd sign an autograph as a fisherman when you picked up that rod when you were a kid? You probably were like you probably were like me, Hank, right? You you thought you were going to be hitting bombs in the major leagues. 
playing on Turner Field every day, huh? Being like being the man with the the bat, right? And then all of a sudden, you you you, you parlay that into a celebrity world championship Bassmaster career. And I don't, I know that I can say celebrity, and you don't consider yourself one, so please don't take it that way. But could you ever imagine that you would sign a kid's hat or the shirt? Or you know, that, live this lifestyle because you learned how to catch a fish? You know, I guess I always knew that was part of it, but that was never the part that drove me to do what I do. Um, it's still weird. I tell my wife all the time, I was like, it's still weird that people want my autograph. People want my picture. People want to pay you money for your jersey. They want this. They want that. Um, but then again, I mean – it comes with the territory. It's part of the responsibility and it's, it's just part of being that mentor or that leader or that inspiration to the new group coming up that, you know, I'm proof. If you put your mind to it, you know, to some extent, anything's possible. And uh, that all falls under the same category. So there's never going to be a time that I'm going to turn something down or I'm going to tell somebody no, when it comes to audit, I'm going to do everything I can to, try to be the best representation of a Bassmaster Classic champion or, or just a plain human being as I can. Um, it's just, you know, there are things that will slip through the cracks. Um, there may be, you know, through all the social media stuff, can you give me this or could you send me this by sending you my address or a fishing trip here? There may be things that slip through the cracks. They're not intentionally. They're not done on purpose. They're not done maliciously. But sometimes with as hectic as the schedule gets, um, we miss things and we try when we miss things and it's brought to our attention. We try to circle back around and take care of it the best that we can. Um, but at the end of the day, the, the autograph thing that comes with the territory, it's part of the job. And, uh, I guess personally, it's pretty cool just to know that somebody wants that from me. I think it's freaking awesome, man. Congratulations, man. And, it's you got a big year in front of you. This could be the first in history. Now you said the odds are stacked against you. I assume that's because history speaks for itself. You might know the body of water. You might not know the body of water. You're going to be fishing as good as you want to. I don't know why the odds are, but Hank Cherry said the odds are stacked against him. But one thing's for sure is that the world of bass fishing and fishing is going to be watching. You got some pressure on you. You got your work cut out for you. But like your son says, they're both still there, dad. Hopefully, Hank, and I'm hoping that in a year from now we're talking again, and there's three of them there as the first three-peat winner, three-time winner in a row of the Bassmasters. Anything left to say? I mean, we've talked about I'd love to come on here again and get a little bit more technical about fishing, but I wanted to talk a little bit about Hank because I'm sure that a lot of the interviews are about fishing and how you win and and what baits and what rods. I don't know. I don't I don't know. I don't live in your world, but I think that it's really really cool that your story comes full circle to become a two-time a repeat champion of the Bassmaster Classic. So congratulations. I hope success continues. I hope your son gets drafted in the first round as a switch hitting guru. A lot of awesome. work. A lot of work, but he does. I, I like his bat speed. I like his power. He looks pretty fluent from both sides of the plate. Looks like he has some leverage on the ball. Looks like he's going to be tall like his daddy. Congratulations, my man. I, I'm proud for you, and uh, I truly appreciate you coming on to the show. Hey, man, I, I enjoyed it. This was definitely a change from the uh, Ordinary Everyday podcast, so I enjoyed it. Well, I'm glad. Let's do it again. And, I, and I'm and i not going to beat you up on uh, social media, but one day I hope to share a duck blind, a turkey woods with you, maybe a boat, and you could teach me how to just freaking flip cast right into the weeds and, and pull out a six-pounder. I need to learn. I want, I want this to be my second coming. I want, after I'm done in this duck hunting game, I would love to be Hank Cherry. I want to grow up to be like you, Hank. I want to be a professional bass fisherman. <laughs> right now, you want to know what I want to do? I'm ready for it to cool down a little bit so I can lay a big buck on the ground. That's what I want to do. All right. Well, I will, I'll expect a picture of that if you can, and maybe even you could overnight me a piece of that, uh, what we call the tenderloin or the backstrap. Yeah. <laughs> Hank Cherry, 2020, 2021 Bassmaster Classic champion. What a freaking career. It's so cool to hear a man's story. The humble beginnings 
the life, the span, the just the cycle that we take, the paths that we take, the maturity levels, getting that ego and letting it sneak in and then having to check it at the door. It happens to all of us in one way or the other. And to hear him through humility, know what his reason on earth is now. He's not here just to be the champion. He's here to be a mentor. He sees how this affects so many different walks of life, especially the kids. And he has taken the responsibility to mentor these kids and get new blood into the pipeline of the outdoors that we cherish so much. So you heard it here, Hank Cherry. Appreciate you, my man. Good luck in the future. I will talk to you soon. If you guys want to follow Hank Cherry, it's at Hank Cherry Fishing on Instagram. Yep. HankCherry.com on the World Wide Web. Yep. You guys, got, you got to follow him. Guys and girls, you got to follow him. His smile is contagious. Go check out those trophies. Maybe you'll learn a thing or two. I'll be in touch, my man. Thank you, Tom, Jake. Hit that button. Jack Daniels, thank you for supporting the podcast and everything we do here with all of our brands. This song is called What You Gonna Do When the Money's All Gone by our good friend, Leith Lawton. I'd rather be pulling off in a hole Riches Life on earth won't last too long So what you gonna do when the money's all 